Hello, you're listening to the Pomerado Christian Church Sermon Podcast. Thank you for spending time with us today. If you're a weekly listener, welcome back. If this is your first time, we're so glad you're here and hope you consider subscribing. If you're in your car, on a run, doing things around the house, or working out, and want to connect even further and take next steps with us, visit pomerado.info. Now, enjoy this week's message. Well, good morning, everyone. We're really grateful to be able to continue our series through Nehemiah, Rise and Build. Uh, For those of, I want to take a moment to thank all of you who signed up to be part of our prayer and fasting. And not all of you were here last week, um, but tomorrow we'll be entering into the final week. So we started two weeks ago uh, tomorrow, so 13 days ago. If you're here in person, um, before you leave, I just encourage you to, to take a look at our wall back there, the 21 days of fasting, prayer and fasting. And you don't need to know all the requests on the back of those cards, but we can just be praying over people and, and knowing that as we concluded our service last week, we talked about builders on the wall, people who were listed by name that were part of building in Nehemiah 3, and then we got to put our names on the wall this past week. So we're really grateful. We are praying for you as we are in the time of prayer and fasting, and please don't hesitate to let us know how we can continue to pray for you during this time. Now today we're going to enter, enter into uh, Nehemiah chapter 4, and we're going to look at the idea of battle. And we talked about burden the first week, the burden that Nehemiah had for his city. He weeped, he mourned, he fasted, he prayed. We talked about the boldness the second week, about how he needed boldness to communicate to King Artaxerxes and to be able to say exactly what he needed, when he needed it, to be persistent, to be courageous, to be clear, and to be ready. Then last week we talked about the builders on the wall and how many of them played their part and they needed to be committed to the vision and all these different things. But today, we're gonna discuss a very real aspect about doing anything big for God. And that's the idea that we will face opposition, that there will be a battle, and how is it that we will respond, not if, but when that comes. Will you join me in a word of prayer as we enter into God's word together? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for each person who is here with us for our service, whether that means here live in person, whether that means watching live online, or maybe it means watching the sermon later or listening on the podcast later. God, each person who hears my voice is someone who is deeply loved by you, someone that you created, you formed, and that you love. God, I pray that all of us will draw close to you in this season, in this moment, in this time that we're in your word. I pray that I would decrease, that you would increase, you would speak in a personal, powerful, impactful way to each and every one of us. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I uh, really appreciate movies. I love watching movies. It's a very generic, anyone can go along with that. Um, So I'll go a little bit deeper. So this past week, I watched um, with uh, Dan Lewis. We got to go see uh, Spider-Man Far From Home. Anyone's watched that yet? Oh, wow, no one. Well, it's really good. It's worth watching, especially if you like Marvel. If you don't like Marvel, you won't know much of what's going on, but it's still fun. But recognizing that it's really, it was a great movie, really enjoyed it. Um, and it just got me thinking, like, as we're talking about battle, like every action movie has kind of that climactic battle. Everyone has these, you know, these visuals, and some are, are more realistic than others, right? So um, it got me thinking about different battle scenes in movies. And so we're just going to watch battle clips all service. No, I'm just kidding. We're not going to do that. Um, but there's different movies that when I think of battles, that really resonate with me. And there's a few of them. First one uh, they'll show here is the Battle of Helm's Deep. So this is the least realistic one. And by that, I mean it has orcs and wizards and elves and things like that. It's from Lord of the Rings, Two Towers, but it's the idea like right in the very beginning and it's, they're all, there's the, all the, um, 
the riders of Rohan, all of Rohan is hiding behind. Uh, I'm nerding out already. Uh, but <laughs> they're all hiding behind this big wall, and they have to protect and hold the wall uh, while the bad guys come. That's all you need to know. Uh, another one that maybe is a, is a little bit more steeped in history uh, is the Battle of Sterling that we see represented in Braveheart in 1995. Uh, normally we see this clip because it's the one with the blue face paint and it's, you know, that big, uh, the big rousing speech. But it's the idea of, you know, it, it, it was a real battle and maybe not all the details were properly relayed um, in the movie. But the idea of recognizing this was a real battle, that that movie, that scene, it, it resonates. Like, oh, there's a battle going on. Another one that um, was a little bit more steeped in history would be in the very beginning of Gladiator. Not the specific one, but we see the beginning of Gladiator when it's early morning and, and um, Maximus is getting ready to lead the Roman army, the Roman legion, uh, against the Germanic tribe. And so it's just, again, a lot of these pictures that we see here are the preparation of the battle. It's not the actual scenes themselves, but it's the preparation and recognizing there's a lot that goes into getting ready the moment before the battle. And one of the pictures or one of the battles that I think resonates most because it is very steeped in history and in our specific country's history um, is this opening part of um, Saving Private Ryan when it comes to before D-Day and just seeing the soldiers' faces. And it's an incredible, it's very hard to watch because it's very realistic, but it is also very moving to watch. And it's very, it's, it's impactful, it's crazy. It's really hard and it's, it's, it's powerful. But the reason I bring these up is because I don't know about you, but I know for me, when I watch movies like this, I always wonder, like, how would I respond in one of those scenes? Not like if I was an elf, like, I get it, that's not realistic, but like if I was in, you know, if it was, if I was in the Scottish army or if I was um, in the Roman army or if I was in the Germanic army or if I was in the American army, like, how would you respond in those moments where battle is, is imminent, it is in front of you, it's nothing you can escape. This is going to happen. Do I have what it takes? Am I enough? Will I measure up? Now, for some of us, that idea of battle, that's something that is, maybe it is like a, like a I always wonder, like, what would happen if someone tried to, like, hurt me or my family? Would I have what it takes to protect them, Right? But I know there's some battles, but other battles we have are internal ones. Are we good enough? Are we capable? Are we beloved? Are we, do, do people care about us? Are we working too hard for something that, you know, in the end, it's not going to fulfill us? Are we prioritizing the wrong things? Are we focusing on things rather than loved ones? And we have these battles that we experience and we wonder, maybe because we're, when we have insecurities and struggles and wounds and heartache, we don't necessarily think of those battles the way we so clearly think of some of these movie battles that are just, we're here, enemy there, we run at them and we fight. But all of us are facing battles every single day, battles of the heart, battles of the mind, battles of the soul. Some of us physical battles if it comes to health and difficulty there. We all face these different types of battles, but what does it look like? How do we respond in the midst of that? And how do we achieve victory through it? We're going to jump into Nehemiah chapter 4, and to give some context, this is after, like I said, this is after the, the, 
Jewish people, the Israelites are going back. They're able to start rebuilding the wall. They say, let's rebuild. Let's rise up and build. Let's get the names of the people. And each person's going to be at a certain part of the wall. It's this huge undertaking. But like a lot of good stories, there's foreshadowing in the book of Nehemiah. In fact, if you, you know, if you watch a movie or you read a book and there's always a scene that doesn't make sense, we always have to remember there's a reason why the director put that scene in there because it has to play a part because there has to be a reason because otherwise why would they show it? It's like the example of like when there's, you watch a movie and like there's this really dramatic moment and someone gives a one-liner and it's like this really dramatic moment and it cuts scenes and you're like, but how did that conversation end? Did they just say all right, I'll meet you for dinner at six. Like, what do you do after those moments? It's like, no, they only show what's the most important parts. So in Nehemiah 2, we start to get a little bit of a foreshadowing of, of the opposition that Nehemiah and the Israelites are going to face as they returned to Jerusalem. And Nehemiah 2, last week we closed with verse 18. Let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. The verse 19, there wasn't even a moment to breathe until it says, but, in verse 19, but... When Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem, Geshem, excuse me, the Arab heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you're doing, they asked. Are you rebelling against the king? Now, we're going to be reintroduced because Nehemiah 3 happens. We see a lot of names. We, we hear all of the responsibilities. But then Nehemiah 4 fulfills the foreshadowing that comes in Nehemiah 2, 19. We start to learn a little bit more about Sanballat and Tobiah. So Sanballat and Tobiah, so Sanballat was a, the official Persian official government, uh, excuse me, governor in that area. Tobiah was a Jewish man. The way you can tell that is that it has the um, I-A-H at the end of the name, like Elijah, or that has a J-A-H, excuse me, but you know, like Tobiah, and it shows, it has the Yah at the end, which points us to the, the name of being Yahweh, right? So there's this idea of Tobiah had to have some Jewish background because his name was a Jewish name. He was a Jewish man that lived across the river over in that territory, the Ammonites. So even when he's being described here, he's not described as a Jewish man. He's described as an Ammonite, maybe who has the history of following God in his lineage, but is not living that out in his life. And then we see Geshem who different historical, we don't see it in the scripture, but the historical documents at the time talk about how he wasn't just some guy, Geshem of the Arabs, that he was king of the Arabs. So when we start to see this opposition that comes, this battle the people are facing as they return and try to build up the wall, these are not no-name bad guys who are just, you know, low-level henchmen in the area. These are official governors. These are kings. These are people who are in authority that do not like what is happening in Jerusalem. And so we start to see how these three guys, and, and then from there they start to battle. So the builders battle against several things. And on the screen, you're gonna, we're going to walk through this passage and see several different things that the builders battle against. The first one that we see in verses 1 through 3 is that the builders battle against ridicule. We saw this alluded to earlier um, in Nehemiah 2 verses 19 a few moments ago. But here's where we jump into our passage in Nehemiah 4. And here's how we begin in verse 1. When Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews. And in the presence of his associates in the army of Samaria, he said, 
What are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore the wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? Tobiah the Ammonite who was at his side said, what they are building, even a fox climbing up on it would break down their wall of stones. Remember, this is the big thing the Jewish people had come back for was to rebuild the wall. And then the opposition they get right off the bat is mocking. Like, oh, are they really going to do that? Can they, even a fox, a tiny fox, could climb on that little stone rubble that they do and knock it over. They're, they're, they can't do this. What, are they going to worship God, the same God that allowed them to go into exile? That clearly isn't going to happen. What, are they going to really believe that they have the ability to, to stand up against us? Do you see how there's so much ridicule and mocking that's going on from Sam Ballot and Tobiah? You know, I don't know about you, but when you follow Jesus and when he becomes the most important person in your life, those who don't know Jesus yet, and I, and I hope and I pray there's a yet that those we know and love most would come to know and love Christ, but those who don't know him yet will often respond with ridicule or, or uh, mocking. When I first became a Christian, I uh, had a, was at UCSD. We picked our roommates for, at the end of freshman year. And then during the, like right before I started that next school year as my sophomore year, it was like a day or two before that started that I gave my life to the Lord. And so when I had left with my roommates uh, or main roommate plans at the end of the year, and then when I came back just a few months later, everything in my life had changed. And it took time, but I remember I had roommates that were like, dude, what's, what's so different about you? Like, you used to be cool. I'm like, well, that is not true. But still, um, this idea of like, you, you, you know, you used to be okay with this and you used to do that. And, and why, why, what's changed and what is it about you? They would try to do things and, and show things all around the house to try to be, be tempting into sin. They would try to stumble or cause me to stumble, excuse me. They would try to do certain things because they didn't understand and I remember having like an instant message conversation for those of us who are millennials, like remember those things. And so it was like with my roommate next door, he's like, you know, what happened to you? Like what changed? And like, what I wanted to just be was like, Jesus, you know, but that would not be the best way to respond necessarily of like, they're like, well, I don't get that still. See, after that, like, yeah, we were still fine, but we didn't, we, I ended up switching schools and didn't really keep in touch with those guys as much. Because they were, they mocked and they ridiculed and they questioned it. And that's a small example, but some of you families have been divided because of your faith in Jesus. Some of you relationships, those bridges have been burned. Some of you have wounds. Some of us unintentionally have inflicted wounds. That there's brokenness that has happened. And a lot of that can come because there's ridicule or mocking. And whenever someone mocks us or ridicules us, and I don't just mean us as Christians, I mean us as humans, we put up our walls and we, we tend to attack back. We tend to lash out rather than to reach out. We tend to put up our walls rather than to open up the doors. So... The builders, they had to battle against this ridicule, the mocking of their faith, the mocking of their purpose, the mocking of their vision, the mocking of their work. But what was their response? We look at verse four, verses four and five. 
their response was this. Hear us, our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. So their response was that they prayed, they kept praying, and they kept working. They kept praying, and they kept working. They prayed to God, and let's see, go to the next slide. I jumped ahead a little bit with my verses, I apologize. Um, I'll read this again just so we're all on the same page here. Hear us, our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height, for the people worked with all their heart. See, they turned to God in prayer. And then they turned to their work and kept going. Notice they didn't just go lash out. They didn't just go on the attack. Because friends, as John talks about in 1 John, we do not wage war as the world does. That people will oppose us. And we'll see more examples of it. People will oppose us. But we're also going to see that people themselves are not the ultimate enemy, Right? that we have a spiritual battle that we face. Those of us who are praying and fasting, I'm sure that we've experienced spiritual warfare in some degree or another over the past few weeks. Maybe it's a wound that came up, a family dynamic that came up. Maybe it's just people in the household or at each other. I mean, whatever it is, work's gotten worse, we're running out of money. I don't know what it is, but we don't wage war the way the world wages war. What we do is we keep praying and we keep working on what God has called us to do. The next thing that they experienced, starting in verse 7, not only did they experience ridicule, they also had a battle against trouble. I know it's kind of a general statement, but let's see how it's described here in verse 7. But when Samballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the people of Ashdod heard that the repairs of Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and that their gaps were being closed, they were very angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. So all of a sudden, they thought that just mocking the Jewish people, the builders, would be enough to stop them. And for some of us, being mocked and ridiculed is enough to stop us in our tracks. But if we keep praying and we keep working what God's called us to do, then we'll keep going one step at a time, one day at a time, one battle at a time. So we keep going. And then they say, oh, now, 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 we're, now we're mad, right? It's like when you watch, uh, when you watch a scene, it's like, oh, um, they're about to fight. And like some guy takes off his jacket. Like, oh, he's taking off his jacket. Like, he's really mad now. You know, like, it's just that idea of like, now they're getting all the people together from the Ammonites, the Arabs, the Ashdod people. And they're like, now we're going to go attack. We're going to stir up trouble among them. We're going to create division. We're going to create frustration. We're going to create discouragement. We're going to create fear. We're going to make it so hard for them to go that we're just stirring up trouble. We're going to stir up trouble. And so what was the builder's response? They kept praying and they kept working. Verse 9, but we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. They were preparing themselves for battle. They didn't ignore that there was a real battle, but they also didn't just go out to lash out to everybody. 
They say, we are going to keep doing what God has called us to do. God called us here. He moved mountains and made miracles and had King Artaxerxes himself fund this project. We know the God of heaven is with us. He's called us to do this big task. And so we are just going to keep praying. We're going to keep working. We're going to keep praying. We're going to keep working. So they prayed to their God. They, they prepared the battle. They got someone who could help guard. And they kept working on the wall and kept fulfilling the vision God had for them. The builders also fought against not just ridicule, not just the stirring up of trouble, but also discouragement. Maybe the battle you're facing right now is not one of people on the outside attacking. Maybe it's on the inside questioning or being exhausted or overwhelmed. We see this in verse 10. Meanwhile, the people in Judah... Okay, so now we're not talking about those on the outside. We're talking about the people themselves, the people in Judah say, the strength of the laborers is giving out and there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. This, this is akin to the idea of, gosh, there's so much pain in the lives of our students and in middle school and high school students in this area. There's nothing we could do to help. Gosh, there's so much brokenness and divorce in marriages. It's just too overwhelming. There's nothing we can do to help. Oh, gosh, the family unit is just being so destroyed. We just, we can't even, there's just nothing we can do to help. The rubble is too far gone. There's too much heartache, too much wounds, or too many wounds, too much pain. There's nothing we could do to help. We, we can't rebuild this wall, Nehemiah. Or maybe in our day and age, it's, God, we can't, we can't change our city with the gospel. There's too much heartache. There's too much pain. We can't unite the divisions around us. That's, those walls are too thick. To which we only need to be reminded of the walls of Jericho and the ability of power, the power of God to break down walls. We say there's too much to be done. It's, it reminds us of the story in John chapter 6 and actually in all the gospels when the um when there's the feeding of the 5,000 men not including women and children so the number is much higher and I love this part when it's in the other in the synoptics which are Matthew Mark and Luke those three gospels they're called synoptics because they come from similar sources they have very similar uh, structure whereas John is John's eyewitness testimony so it's a little different and it's it spends like half of the gospel in the last week of Jesus's life but whereas the gospel, where the synoptics, they talk about how, oh, you know, they, they found a, a five loaves of bread and two fish, right? In John, we see that Andrew, one of the disciples, says, hey, there's this boy who has his lunch. It becomes much more personal. And I wonder how many other people in the 5,000 men, not including women and children, had something that they could give. But when they started hearing murmuring and realizing it's getting late and the disciples are looking around asking for food, they think, there's too much need. I can't help. There's nothing I can do. Until a boy with the childlike faith to just give up his Lunchable and see what God could do with that. Recognizing that we may not be able to heal everything but with the power of God and his, and his power and his presence, we can help heal one thing or one person at a time. We can't be so discouraged to say, God, 
There's too much heartache. Somehow, your, your kingdom, it can't be built right now. Have you seen the division? And he says, yeah. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. His church and his kingdom have withstood through incredible persecution and difficulty. In fact, his church is not the one that's going to be, that's, that's going to fall to the wayside. No matter what happens in our world, his church will remain. I want to be a builder on a wall. I want to be building his church. I want to be building the kingdom. I want to be lined up and be a part of that. So instead of being discouraged, say, there's nothing we can do. We say, here am I, send me. We had the battle against discouragement. Verse 11 talks about how they also battled against fear. Also, our enemies said, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and we'll kill them and put an end to the work. The fear that is stirred up when you think your family is in danger from outside forces, of course, our instincts are to protect, our instincts are to care, are to care and to stop and to do whatever we can and, and to freeze. Maybe we shouldn't do this anymore because this is now dangerous. Those on the outside were trying to instill fear. Remember, discouragement came from the inside. The people in Judah were discouraged. There's too much work. We can't do it. The fear came from the outside. It's the enemies who said this. And then verse 12, then the Jews who lived near them, their neighbors came and told us 10 times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. And then the builders had a battle against anxiety. The idea that there's discouragement. We can't do the work. Fear, we're gonna come and they're gonna, we're gonna attack them before they even know. We're gonna kill them before they even know we are among them. And then anxiety. The ones on the, who were the neighbors who were like, don't you know wherever you go, they're going to attack? Whatever we do, they're going to attack. And it creates this anxiety of thinking there's nothing you can do. Friends, ridicule, trouble, discouragement, fear, anxiety. That's a, that's a, that's a five-fold punch that is dangerous and scary. And that is an opposition that is hard to overcome on our own. That's why we see that throughout the rest of the passage, we're not going to go through all of it, but it talks about how they would be stationed and have different people come all throughout. That there were going to be people who were protecting and people who were working. It's a both and. We need each other to withstand opposition in battle. But when it comes to ridicule, trouble, discouragement, fear, and anxiety, what was their response? They kept praying and they kept working. Verse 13, therefore I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by fam uh, families with their swords, spears, and bows. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who was great and awesome and fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. And when our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to our own work. They sought God. They encouraged one another with the promises of God. They prayed and they encouraged and then they went back to work. One day at a time, one brick at a time, one stone at a time, they kept working. And again, 
we see later on, we don't, won't go all the way into it, half of the men did the work, half were working on the actual wall. Those who were bringing materials back and forth had the materials in one hand and their swords at the other. So they had to be ready and acknowledge there was a battle going on. In any of those scenes we talked about at the very beginning, whether they're less realistic like Lord of the Rings, whether it's very realistic like D-Day, it would be utter foolishness for any one of those soldiers to walk around and pretend that there wasn't a battle going on. It would be utter foolishness and blindness that just thinks, oh, I'm just going on a walk of the beach. But it's Omaha Beach on June 6, 1944. It would be utter foolishness and blindness to not acknowledge the battle and to not be ready for it. Friends, in Ephesians 6, 12, it talks about how our struggle, the struggle's real. There is a battle. There is a war going on. There are difficult things, but our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Jesus calls us to love our enemies, to love and pray for those who persecute us. Those who are on the opposite side of any issue we could ever think of are not our enemy. We tend, when we're mocked or ridiculed or called out, we tend to lash out rather than reach out. We tend to build up our walls and get around other people who think the same things as us and just say, okay, isn't it great how great we are and how horrible everyone else is? And I don't just mean us as in Christians. Again, I mean us as in humans. We find those who believe what we believe, who think what we think, who do what we do and say what we say, and we make everybody else the other or the enemy. But Jesus breaks down those walls that are thicker than anything Jericho could have put up against. He tears down the veil and that was thicker than any curtain that was in the, high, um, in the Holy of Holies. He breaks down those walls around us because he bridged the gap between heaven and earth so that he would live a perfect life. He died a horrible death, but he was raised to new life so that we could have eternal life. Not eternal life that when we die, we go to heaven. Yes, that's part of it. But as John 17, 3 says, eternal life starts now. It's the moment we know the Son and the Father. So, all of us, if we follow Jesus, we're in a battle. We're in a battle, but in the midst of your battle, may we be able to encourage you Say, don't be afraid of the opposition you face. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Fight for your families, your sons, your daughters, your wives, your homes. And again, that doesn't mean we fight the same way the world fights. It means that we stand firm in the armor of God. That we put the belt of truth around our waist and the breastplate of righteousness that we have the feet fitted with the readiness of the gospel of peace, that we have the helmet of salvation, the shield of faith, and the sword of the spirit. Most of those are defensive weapons or defensive pieces of armor. And so when attacks come, the reason the shield of faith is so beautiful is that it was covered and it would allow, extinguish, it would extinguish the fiery arrows of the enemy. So when it comes to the battles and the oppositions around us or within us. We need to remember that we don't fight the way the world fights. 
the greatest way for us to fight against a spiritual, the, the rulers and authorities and the powers of this dark world and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms is not by raising our fists, but by bending our knees in prayer. It's not by going and lashing out. It's by reaching out. It's not by trying to have a fast attack. It's about attacking through fasting. It's about coming alongside and recognizing that we need to have our eyes open to seeing the battle around us the same way that as Elisha asked God to open up the eyes of his servant and he looked around and he saw the angels' armies surrounding them in First Kings, or Second Kings 6. It would be foolish for those of us who know and love Jesus to not acknowledge we're in a battle. So what battle are you facing today? Are you battling against ridicule? Are you battling against trouble that's being stirred up around you? Are you battling against discouragement? Are you battling against fear? Are you battling against anxiety? Are you battling against something else entirely? Or that famous answer that when, always messed me up on tests, just all of the above? What are you battling against? See, I started the, the sermon talking about these really big war movies or these big battles that are good guy here, bad guy there. We just run at each other and yell for some reason. That's one of the things that Shayla and Elise, we've been, when we watch football, they're like, why do guys yell at each other? I'm like, I don't know, just, just what we do. So, but they're yelling and fighting. But I would posit today, I would propose today that yes, we, we don't know maybe how, we wonder how we might respond to those kind of battles, but we know how we can respond in the battles we face today. So we start off by looking at these big battles that are, I don't know how to respond, but there's a battle you and I experience all the time that is, um, that is exemplified in another movie, less violent and less uh, scary. It's known as Finding Nemo. And there's a scene in which, go ahead and go to the next slide, when uh, Marlin, who's the clownfish that his son Nemo was taken and lost and he's looking after him, he finds Dory. Dory has issues with memory, doesn't remember things all the time. And there's this time where he's just very discouraged. And she says, do you know what we do when things are bad? He's like, I don't, I don't want to know what we do when, when things aren't good. She says, we just keep swimming. And he goes, just keep swimming, just keep swimming. And they go deeper and lower and then things get worse. But still, the idea is just keep swimming. When we are facing or battling against any of these types of oppositions, Ridicule, trouble, discouragement, fear, anxiety, something else, everything else. What will be our response? Maybe not just keep swimming, but just keep praying and just keep working. Let us pray. Father, we thank you so much for who you are and I thank you for the love that you have for us. God, I pray that we would... Um, Lord, only you know the depths of what we're experiencing, the struggles that we have, the, the, the battles that we're facing, whether they're external and people on the outside who are attacking us and we're getting discouraged or afraid, whether we're being mocked or ridiculed, whether people are just stirring up trouble around us, or Lord, whether the battle we face is internal. It's the one that wonders, do we have what it takes? We'll never measure up. We can't compare to that person or this person or someone else. 
But Lord, may we, as Nehemiah encouraged the elders, may we remember who you are. May we remember that you moved mountains in order to get the Jewish people back there for the calling and the work of rebuilding your wall. And Jesus, you moved far greater distance from heaven to earth, from the riches of heaven to the rags of a manger, so that we could be invited into eternal life with you. Father, I pray for encouragement over every person who hears my voice. I pray that we would remember who you are and that no matter what opposition or battle we face, may we not wage war the way the world wages war. May we not lash out just because they lash out at us, but may we reach out. May we not just build up walls to push people out, but may we open up doors to let people in. May we risk the opposition in hopes that those we know and love most would come to know and love Christ. And Lord, in the end, when we're struggling and we don't know what to do, we don't know where the step forward is in the midst of this battle, help us to maybe not keep swimming, but to keep praying and to keep working at what you've called us to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We want to be a church where people are changed by God to change the world. If you want to partner with us in this way, you can start by doing these two things. The first, if you haven't subscribed to this podcast, you can do that by hitting the subscribe button wherever you're listening so you can stay connected with us and we can broaden our reach. And the second, and this might be the most important thing you do, share this message with someone you know. And as always, remember you are prayed for, cared for, and loved. See you next time.